Hello, welcome to the Nation's Hard Podcast. This is a newscast on the 24th of February. I have with me today um, Zoe Turner. Zoe, do you want to just introduce yourself, please? Hello, I'm a senior data scientist at the Strategy Unit working with Chris on the NHSR community events and things. Cool, thanks. Yeah, and I'm Chris Bailey. I'm a data scientist and I also work at the Strategy Unit. Um, so uh, today's a newscast, so we're going to start with the news. I am going to introduce the first item of news. So we talked about this on the conference, on the conference, on the podcast last time. Um, the Hacker Conference has been announced. For those of you who don't know, I believe it's the 11th and 12th of July. We'll put a link to the um, to the conference in the show notes. There is, um, as we mentioned last time, abstract submission is now open, and there is also help available from the NHSR community if you haven't submitted an abstract before. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about today, I've spoken to a couple of people recently uh, who are kind of wondering about the Hacker Conference as opposed to the NHSR Conference, and they're wondering about um, kind of what's the difference between the between the conferences, what kind of work should they bring to each? Uh, I think there's quite a good answer to that question. It is only my answer, so it comes with a, a, a um, caveat emptor, but this is my answer to the question. The Hacker Conference is going to be focused on kind of decision-making using an analysis, where analysis has contributed to kind of strategy or to a decision or improving decision making and decision quality in the NHS. It's very much focused on that. Um, whereas the NHSR conference, of course, is partly focused on things like uh, R and Python and open source. But I think at a more general level, it is designed to be a sort of more technical uh, conference. So my recommended to people who are wondering about um, which one to, you know, which one to submit an abstract to or what they might submit to each. Certainly, I'm thinking about for myself, maybe submitting something the same piece of work but maybe from with a different with a different um flavor for each so i think if you've got something that's about um you know contributing to a decision or contributing to the development of some sort of strategic or decision making process that'd be really good for hacker and then if you want to come and tell the nhsr conference about how you did and how your code works and all that kind of thing um then that would be really good for the nhsr conference Okay, and uh, on that, I, I kind of would say that the NHSR community conference would be kind of the geekier side of things. So we want to see the technical detail often. And that takes me to the new news. Uh, it's probably not big news. Well, it could be for some. The Dplyr has got a, a latest version, 1.1.0. And I think this it's not going to have breaking changes, but there's a lot of a lot of new stuff in there, lots of great new functions, things that people who are SQL analysts will recognize in terms of the power of the joins that you can do in SQL. They're starting to be coded a lot more in dplyr. I just want to recommend that people try, if they can, updating their packages or being aware that um, quite a few packages will give you, or even some of the functions will give you some feedback now in this newer version of 1.1.0. So if you've got some old code and you update it, it may change. One of the big ones that I've seen recently is a difference between the um, functions of summarize and reframe. And I can't really quite explain the difference between them, but you'll get a lot of helpful, verbose commentary back. They're not often, they're warnings in Tidyverse. They're not errors. They haven't actually broken your code, but they're giving a lot of information back. If anybody gets anything like this and they think, my code's broken, please, what's happening? Help me. You can come onto the NHSR Slack group and uh, we'll try and guide you. But there's a lot of interesting things. I would just recommend people have a look at the YouTube videos and the blogs that have come out from Posit, who maintain dplyr, which is part of Tidyverse. Yeah, I mean, I believe there's <clears throat> there's some quite new things, isn't there? So um, there's a 
there's a group by that doesn't permanently group your data which I think will help a lot. I mean, sure, everyone listening to this has used group buyers had the problem where you forget to ungroup it at the end and then you make a horrible mess for hours and can't figure out what it is. So that's one thing. That, and this reframe, I think, is that new? I didn't know about this before. Yeah. 1.1. So the, the reframe is uh, it does the same things as Summarize, but Summarize always squashes everything down to one row, whereas reframe has the capacity to allow for several rows, I think. And so they tried to change summarize, it said in one of the YouTube videos, but then people got, they were like, well, I wasn't expecting this. Why is, why is summarize doing this thing? So they removed that. They kind of rolled back that change and made it a new function as much as I can understand, because I don't tend to use summarize and reframe a lot or reframe will come up. It will give you a note if you use it, you summarize and it thinks that you should use reframe. The joins are really, really powerful and they're very similar to SQL, I feel like. So you've got rolling joins now and non-equi joins. So you can say greater than and less than, whereas before you just had like a straightforward equal. It needed to be the same on each side. And when it comes to the group by, which you mentioned, that's really good because for those who are SQL analysts, it's like it's going into the realms of SQL. Um, group by always caught me out as a SQL analyst because it would come at the end of your SQL code and it would squash everything to one distinct and that's not how it works in R. But this new part is part, it, the group by appears in the functions. So it's more like Windows partitions where it's part of that line, but a bit more powerful than SQL because you're stuck with it being in the select statement, whereas that's not the case when you're working with R. It looks fun. It looks familiar and powerful, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Yes, and for those of you who don't know SQL, I remember, I think I'll, yeah, I remember vividly someone, I think it was someone else in the team talking about Windows partitions, and I've never heard of a Windows, but, and I thought they meant the literal Windows partition on a hard drive, and I was very confused for a very, very long time. That is some weird SQL thing that I've never heard of, yeah. so just if you're wondering. I, I don't know why they called that um i think people will recognize them from row number over and partition these are the function words that you will see and at no point does it ever say windows partition so yeah it's um, a bit a bit of a strange naming convention yes this whole word of sql is a bit great to me i suspect quite probably a lot of people listening to this to be fair probably a lot better at sql than i'm because i've sort of made a career out of avoiding it really and don't forget as well also while we're talking about dplyr that of course dplyr will interact with databases directly so a lot of the time that we've used it in our team we're not, yes. you know, you don't have to do this with our objects. You can actually do it with, with SQL databases in their raw form, which is obviously very sort of powerful and, and useful tool. And that is exciting as well, because lots of the changes that are happening also with Quarto, if people haven't heard of that, coming in as a sort of version two of our markdown. So our markdown's not disappearing. We've got two things. The same thing with the dplyr, a lot of the stuff is very new, but it's already being coded into dbplyr, which is how you can interact between SQL code or SQL servers and R. So there's rapid changes. And so one day you might see a question saying, is this even available in this package? And then the next day it's, it's ring released and it's been updated or some documentation is available. It, it's really rapid at the moment, but very exciting. Yes, and that's a perfect segue actually to the next item of news. Well, it's not really news, it's just something that happened on the site that I thought was interesting that we could talk about. Um, so there was, I can't remember what it was, but someone was having some sort of problem recently uh, with the with the mutate function. Um, so they were using mutate underscore all, which is a dplyr function. Um, 
that I think has been, it's certainly deprecated now. I think it's been deprecated for a while. I can't remember exactly how long. Um, but those of you who are familiar with changes in Dply will know that it's been replaced with the across function. Um, so we ended up with two sets of, as so often with HSR, we ended up with lots of different solutions to the same problem. And some of them had mutators all and some of them had across. And that led to a sort of general discussion that I've heard many times in the world of R, which I think is quite interesting. Some people want packages to, to never change at all. They want them to stay the same and just to give the same results, you know, month in, month out, year in, year out. Um, because they don't want breaking changes and they don't want deprecations and they don't want things to go wrong. Whereas other people, I think probably who are more the, the Chris and Zoe's of this world are quite happy to just kind of break everything and just, it depends what you're doing partly. Of course, if you're making quite a stable data pipeline, um, I suppose it is a little bit different. Um, but yes, it's a constant, it's a constant refrain between those two camps. Um, and someone uh, very helpfully chimed up. I'll put all these links in the chat, of course, as we always do um, with the lifecycle badges. So if you are interested in um, understanding kind of what's happening to these functions and, and whether they're sort of in or out or whatever, um, there'll be a link in the chat about lifecycle badges and you can check these for lots of uh, lots of things. Um, and they will they will be marked. Uh, often they'll be marked stable, which means the function is expected to kind of carry on as it is. And, you know, uh, you can sort of use it quite happily. Um, sometimes it'll be marked experimental, which obviously is a bit of a warning that it, it might change and don't kind of rely on it too much. And then sometimes stable functions will then be taken over to deprecated and to superseded. That's the territory that things like mutate all have ended up in. Um, and those are, um, so deprecated would be where you, they say to you, you shouldn't really use this code anymore. It's not a very good idea for whatever reason. Um, and then superseded, they're often saying, this function is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And we're not going to take it away from you, but you actually, there's a better function available. And I'm pretty sure that's what's happened to mutate all. They haven't got rid of it. They've just said, actually, there's a better. And if you want to, I have to say, I find across quite difficult to use. I did for quite a long time. That's nothing, not the fault of the package authors. It's just because I'm a bit slow. Um, but once you get the hang of it, it is quite powerful. Um, so it's useful. If you are going to get upset upset about um, things breaking, it is a good idea just to have a good look through your functions, have a look at the lifecycle stages, have a look, think about it, um, and also look out for deprecations in your code. Um, there was another chat, actually, speaking of which, the other day about... Uh, what was it about? It, it, quite an old function. This will get all the old people in the audience, I think, uh, remembering. It's AES underscore, underscore string, which is an old ggplot2. Zoe's pulling a face as if she's never heard that in her life. Yeah, I don't I know have never it's... heard of that in my no. life. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what we had in, in the days before quasi-quotation and um, curly-curly and all that malarkey. There used to be a function called AES string that allowed you to pass in strings instead of bare variable names to ggplot2. And I must admit, I haven't done my research for the episode, so I don't know what's happened to that function. Um, it, to me, it's almost like archaeology now, because you just wouldn't do that anymore. You would just use curly curly. That's certainly what I would do. And that's what ended up happening in the Slack uh, discussion. Um, but it's just really interesting. But I I'm pretty sure it still works. Uh, yeah, string, I think it did still work. Um, but I, I think that was another one where they say, well, actually, there's just a better way of doing that now. Yeah, I think Posit have definitely gone down that route of um, not getting rid of them. They said about group by, it's not going to go anywhere. And at this moment in time, they're not going to deprecate it even. So it has a purpose. It's just that they've extended it. And I really like that because if you want a stable language that doesn't change, go to SQL because I don't think that's changed in a very, very long time. But it is really difficult between packages, whether you update them every single time and you're like on it, which is what I was doing. Um, or 
you just stick with what works. Now, I think if you just have a set of packages that work and you're really keen on it, then you really need to check out a package called Renv, R-E-N-V, and look into that um, because then that just keeps things in one set area and you can replicate that a bit better. I'm not going to go into too much detail because that's not my area at the moment, but I'm following the work of what Tom Gemmett does in terms of packages and keeping things all together. But I'm very much like, let's see what's new. Let's break stuff. But be aware that Tidyverse particularly give a lot of messages and it doesn't mean that your code hasn't worked. It's just giving you nice advice, friendly advice that maybe you should look at something else. Yeah, I think that, that could, that's problematic for beginners, that, isn't it? I often think that because I've had lots of conversations. In fact, I've had lots of conversations with people who are not really beginners and something goes wrong and they read the warning message quite naturally. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's a warning message. That's not what's gone wrong. Something else has gone wrong that it's not telling you about, but there's also a warning. And that, to be fair, that is actually quite confusing when you think about it, isn't it? It's warning about something and it's erroring, but it's, there's, there is no error message. It just fails silently. Um, anyway, yes, I think it's a really good thing to talk about this. There's lots of sides of, you know, there's strong feeling on both sides of this. You know, my message to you would be, if you really care about code stability, you need to make it your business to, to look at the functions you're using and to maybe even go on the GitHub or, you know, like understand what you're using, what whose code you're running and what their intentions are. Um, because most package authors will do their best to make sure that they don't catch you, you know, catch you unawares. They're all, everyone's obviously doing their best to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, so do your research. Don't blindly use things and expect them to stay the same. And also feedback, because from what it was sounding like in this uh, YouTube talk by somebody from Posit, I guess, it was that they go by some of the responses on the GitHub. So if, even if you don't raise an issue, if somebody's got an issue about a function and if you like it or put in an emoji about it, then they count that. So they are getting their feedback, it seems, on what people want. And that's where they're getting their information from. So GitHub is also a place to look to uh, give your feedback, even if it's just like a quiet little emoji somewhere with another few, then people know in places like Posit or even NHSR community, to be fair, uh, what we want, what do you want? Tell us what it is that's good, doesn't work, or could be better. Quite right, yes. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to the next thing. So are you gonna talk about the government data science community? Yes, yeah, so I've been spending a lot of time over on the government data science community Slack. And for that, I am now um, part of the admin in that area. It's a closed group, which uh, you can only access if you're a public sector public sector person. Um, so that's quite a lot of people from the civil service. NHS is also incredibly welcome, very welcome, because I'm on the admin as well. And local authority colleagues, analysts of all descriptions and data scientists are there too. So there's a lot of activity that's going on that we are um, able to go along and contribute to. And their conversations over there are really, really interesting. Quite a lot of activity, again, in the R channels, not so much in the Python compared. So do try and get in there and, and contribute. There is also uh, on that score, because there's a few Slack groups around, the NHS PyCom, which is the Python community. And uh, we both are on there, aren't we, Chris? So we, we're in all the, all the Slack groups, you'll find us. And I'm not an administrator in that one but I am around in there. So there's a lot of uh, kind of informal, but formal in a sense. It's more formalized in the government data science community. Uh, but they also have a newsletter as well. And I'd recommend looking into that because they have things like the data accelerator programs and mentors, 
mentorships because it's all tied into the data science campus and ONS and it's open to public sector which I think it's very very easy to forget that NHS local authorities we're all part of that big group called public sector. Yes that's a good shout out for the data science acceleration I'm furiously googling in the background because I just I've got a funny feeling that they're actually open at the moment is that right I'm just trying to very quickly I can't remember um there let me find the thing there's a data science graduate program as well that's open at the moment for both funding bids and um also putting yourself forward for it so there's like a two-step thing that you can go you could apply for a graduate program curriculum or your team could apply or pay for a person to be part of your team through the program that's open to everybody and I just don't think these things are necessarily known throughout all of the public sector organizations yes so I'm not sure uh, <clears throat> if the applications have closed the data like it's right it will come around again it comes around regularly so I'll put a link in the chat go and have a look and if you know about data science obviously you can be a mentor as well and that's really good I've done that I haven't done that as often as I should have done it once it was really great um, oh no, I've done it twice. I'd forgotten about one of them. There you go. I've done it twice. Um, and it was really great both times. And I did it myself and it was probably, it's probably, uh, yeah, other than my PhD, it's probably the most important thing I ever did in my entire career because it really helped me to kind of develop the skills that I actually need to do, you know, data science basically. So, um, yes, have a look at all that. Um, right. I think that's all for news though, unless you've got anything else you want to talk about. Should we go on no. to finds? Yeah. So we've got a new section, uh, which is partly inspired. I was listening to the Late Night Linux podcast. I don't know. I know at least one person on the NHS. So I'll listen to that. And they have like a fine section. And I was listening to the day thinking that it was great. And then I thought, why don't we have, I've got a podcast. Well, I say the NHSR community has got a podcast. Why don't we have a fine section? Um, so now we do have a fine section and it's this. Um, so it's going to be just anything you like. So communities that you found, websites, functions, our studio tips um to be honest i think we could run a whole podcast just on our studio tips and i might do that one day because there's so what is my there's a, there's one that i always forget because i don't use it that often but it's amazing control shift alt r or something insert roxygen skeleton that's my favorite thing of all time yes. because it just saves you so much work that's the thing you used to laboriously type it out like an idiot and then you can actually just press a button and it just appears instantly anyway uh, that's not in run the finds. That's just a random thing that I just thought of just now. Um, so what have we got in the finds this week? So we've got, um, I found the other day, it's a very trivial thing this day, but it's from the read our package. It's right underscore Excel underscore CSV, um, which is just like a normal write CSV function, except it inserts a by order mark to tell Excel that it's in UTF eight, which doesn't sound like much unless you've had the experience that I've had wrestling with Excel, which is very stubborn about file formats and whatever. Um, and it really makes it a lot more smooth to work with Excel. Um, writing CSV for people who are using Excel could be a real nightmare. So that can help with that. Someone else put something in the Slack recently about increasing the uh, the width of your R Markdown document, because um, they are quite narrow. I mean, it depends what you're doing. It depends what browser people are going to run. So it's not always a good idea to increase the width. But sometimes if you've got like a lot of graphs or something, you might want to do that. Um, I'm not going to read all the CSS out because that'd be pretty weird on a podcast, but I'll pop it in the chat. That was specifically for Word documents. I'm just going to launch in because when I looked it up to see if it existed in Quarto, because that was for R Markdown, um, I found it was slightly different. Quarto, I'll just say as well, is brilliant. Every time I look it up, um, it's like R Markdown with a little bit 
easier stuff or more magic added to it. And so um, you don't have to create a CSS file to correspond to your HTML in Quarto, but you have different things for Word. But uh, yes, it was specifically for Word output, which was uh, really interesting. Yes. So um, <clears throat> have a go with that. And also, yeah, I have to say, a lot of people are still using our markdown, and I still use it occasionally. Uh, but I'm trying to migrate to Quarto now because it is just better, really. Everyone seems to agree on that. So uh, that's probably for another day. But uh, if you haven't uh, had a look at Quarto, then probably do that. Um, there's something that I've actually followed for a long time, but I thought might be worth pointing out that someone else raised in the Slack is the R Weekly um, website. So that's just got it's it's a fine website all in its own, and they have a newsletter. Um, so if you're interested in that, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and the other function I found this week that I thought was really cool was a lubricate function, pass underscore date underscore time. Um, and I think I did see this uh, maybe in days gone by, but didn't really kind of notice what it did. It Basically, it will pass lots of dates in, in different formats. So quite often you get dates that are just kind of a big mess. Um, and you have to kind of very laboriously sit and kind of figure them all out and all this kind of thing. Whereas this function is really good at knowing what the dates are. So if you just give it a load of dates, it will kind of just do its best to figure it all out and, and, and make it work, um, which is really cool. As we all know, dates are hideous. Uh, I can see Zoe Googling it in, uh, in ah, real time. It away. I, was um, looking, I was just going to see if it could cope with Excel dates, the serial dates, or if that actually is outside its remit. And if that's the case, then you'll have to use the janitor package that deals with that because that is like a really that's an edge case isn't it when you get this excel serial date have you ever had that where it's just come you mean like the way it's just the massive number four seven two three four yeah, five yeah, yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. from 1900 yeah i, I used to do all my do day that. back in the bad old days when i didn't know what the heck i was doing and i didn't know anybody else who used that that's what i i think i used to do that i used to have all my dates as like these massive numbers it's oh. the yeah the number of i don't even know what it is, number of minutes since 1970 or something ridiculous. I forget what it is now. Um, yes. So yeah, as Zoe says, the, the, yeah, there probably are edge cases it doesn't do, but it will do lots of uh, neat things. So uh, have a look at that. Right. That's all of mine. Zoe, you've got a few Ooh, as well. And Lubridate is also now, we were told in the NHSR Slack group um, that it's part of the Tidyverse package scheme. So I think it comes through now, whereas before it was uh, something that you had to load separately. Yeah, so it was installed but not loaded before, wasn't it? Whereas now it's being loaded. Um, Excellent. That reminds me, we're just about to have an argument on our GitHub, aren't we, about whether you should ever call library tidyverse, which I'm wondering, I'm going to put this actually in the, the, um, we can't talk about it now because we've got time. We're definitely going to put this in the next, um, in the next book because I've got a big, bugbear about this I, I don't i don't think i shouldn't go into it now should i because i'll get lots of angry <laughs> emails um i personally try to avoid writing library tidyverse in analytic scripts for reasons that i'll come to um and other people obviously do do that so anyway that's yeah watch this space coming yeah. soon arguments <laughs> so the other find the find i found which was one i already sort of should have known about um is the ivs package it was mentioned by davis vaughan I think his name is, um, from Posit, when he was talking about some of the changes to dplyr. And he tagged it onto the end. And I was like, this package looks amazing. And then Tim Taylor, who kindly passed on a repository that he did for episodes, and he's now renamed it to NHSR episodes in the NHSR community GitHub repository, which I'm a maintainer for because I took responsibility for it. I completely forgotten that the IVS package is in there. 
So the IVS package has been used by analysts and also by Tim in uh, ways of counting overlapping episodes. If they overlap or if they don't, it's a count. So you could probably imagine in terms of patients when they we had it with uh, mental health beds, people would be in a mental health bed that was a locally sourced bed, but then they went to an out of area bed. And it's really for that patient, one episode and getting the times correlated to each other like one doesn't it ends at the same point as the next one and counting it can be quite tricky to do and the IVS package is really good but it's quite slow when you use it with dplyr over massive data sets and so what Tim has worked on in the background in this great package and we're hoping that this is just a temporary package and things will speed up with dplyr data table was very very fast but the problem is data table didn't work I don't think with IVS so he's done things in the background so that we don't need to necessarily know what goes on to be able to use a couple of functions in a package called NHSR episodes to do these counts so we've just been working on that I've been um, breaking it apart really just to see how it worked look through the readme and understand it a bit better the readme has actually helped me understand the IVS package and, and what it's doing because examples don't often include um, things that make sense to me. So uh, I definitely checked that out. So it's two finds. One of them I was actually part of, which is quite embarrassing, but let's see who gets to this stage of the podcast and hears that. And the other one that came out from that was also Craig Shenton passed on to, as it were, the NHSR community, his Quarto NHS theme repository. So that's two repositories that we've had passed in, into the hands of the NHSR community and they're still part of those repositories but they've made it more centralized and that people can come along and contribute, use, question, raise issues and I'm very grateful to both those people for both handing their great work over and also still being part of it and part of the community. Yeah it's really good that quarter template so um, my team had all well my old I'm kind of in between teams at the moment. I've got some team, uh, I've got some people working on some text uh, and we already stole it. So we emailed Craig recently and talked to him about the license, all this kind of thing, and basically said, can we steal it? He said, yes, certainly, please do. Um, so we stole it and then he gave it to NHSR as well. So I feel like I've sort of stolen it twice now. Um, it's very easy to use and very attractive. It looks very NHSE. Um, so it's very easy. If you want to make something that looks, a lot of my documents look a bit kind of, I just use all the defaults and it just looks a bit kind of naff doesn't look very impressive so if you want to just like a really nice drop-in thing that will make what you're doing look kind of quite kind of professional and like it's been done properly um then that's that's a really good way of, of doing it i would say as well that nhs have very strong branding regulations don't we and we've got certain colors and certain text that we can use there's a there's a text called um I've forgotten the name now. It, it's a paid text anyway, so I don't need to know the font because we can't use it unless you pay for it. And then you have to use Arial. So things like this, having a central repository with a, a theme, even if you don't necessarily use all the parts that it's already set for you, is it just takes a lot of that searching for the branding, making sure it's correct. And it's an NHS general theme. Must say as well, though, it is NHS England. So if there are any things out, if there's anything out there for NHS Scotland and NHS Wales and NHS Northern Ireland, please let us know so that we can keep tabs on that and reference them so that people can go to the appropriate theme or, you know, use that template and add your own details in. Cool. Excellent. So I think that's all the finds for this week. Is that right? Yes, I think so. Um, I can't think of any other finds. Cool. No, that's Could all I good. Oh, chat sorry, GPT. 
<laughs> no, maybe not. We've got a little a few minutes if you want to throw in something okay. else at the end. So tell us about your blog that you did with ChatGPT, Chris. You made ChatGPT. I'm not sure everybody's aware of even what that is and um, that it was a guest blogger. Yes. Yeah, so well, I feel, I don't know why. I mean, it was my son that started messing around with it, really. And just ever since then, I've just become obsessed with what ChatGPT does and doesn't know about the world. Um, so I asked it to write uh, a... Well, for those who've not heard of ChatGPT, basically, it's a sort of... It's a language generation model. Um, it's based on a very incredibly complicated, sophisticated logic model uh, claim to understand. But the interface that we're, that you can use on the internet is you just type stuff and it just talks to you. Um, so yeah, so I had it. I had it write a blog about NHSR, um, and it was pretty good. Uh, as Zoe mentioned to me, the, the, the style of it is very—it's uh, not. It doesn't have very. It doesn't have any verve, does it? It's very kind of. It's pedestrian. boring, really. It's yeah. very policy kind of driven type thing. Maybe that's because the language that we've got out and about is quite plain about it. Maybe we need a bit more creativity, but it can be used also for code. And I have heard of it being used for commenting our code, and also generating different bits of code. I saw on the Government Data Science Slack group, actually, somebody was um, asking a question about SQL and something to do with stored procedures. And I think it was a bit of a joke, but a data scientist went off and got ChatGPT's answer to it. But unfortunately, I think it was generated from the one source that was already known about by the questioner. So ChatGPT is a bit limited. It's not creative in thought at all, uh, but it might be useful for generating things rapidly like commenting your code or yeah well of course we have a webinar in fact coming up i think is it april the webinar or is it march i can't i think it might be april um i'll put a link in the show notes and someone is going to come talk to us a very subject about how to use chat gpt uh to kind of help with r uh, a similar thing of course is github copilot which i keep meaning to talk about on the podcast but never quite get around to because i'm always worried that i don't quite understand it and i'll make myself look like an idiot um but that's a similar thing where it's basically it's a model that's been trained on a lot of code and can do um, code. I did mention it actually. I think I did mention it briefly because someone tweeted a lot of stuff that had that uh, Copilot had uh, had done in our once upon a time. And also, if you're interested in the ethics side of it, the data ethics particularly, the Data Ethics Club, which meets virtually every other Wednesday, and we'll put the link in the chat notes as and the podcast notes as well. Uh, we talked about ChatGPT at the last club that was there. Uh, we, we used a, an article mainly around research and whether you should or should not name ChatGPT as a co-author. And it did feel like, well, yeah, if it's written something, although it's not because people are using it in terms of, say, statistics. So you're used to ChatGPT to write the interpretation of some statistics or even write vast sections of your essays or your dissertations, never mind your research papers. So maybe how do you list out it? Is it listed as a, a citation or is it a, a, a co-author? So that was an interesting discussion that we had. Yes, it's all it's all getting a bit Blade Runner, isn't it, these days? <laughs> Yeah, maybe we won't have any jobs soon. You know, we'll just be um, cast out because let's, well, let, yeah, will exactly. do all our work. This whole thing about, are oh, we going to have jobs? So let's do this on another podcast. Not that the NHSL <laughs> podcast is necessarily the best place to talk about this anyway, but I think we've all got opinions about this. I read all sorts of rubbish about how ChatGPT is going to replace everybody by the year 2040. Um, so let, let's let's do it properly. But put it this way, I'm not, I'm not too worried about my job just at the moment, and I don't think too many other people should be worried just yet. There are... 
there are websites out there to test to see if the writing is by, you know, like percentage probability is by um, not ChatGPT specifically, but by um, an AI machine type thing, a computer. And I did put your blog from ChatGPT in there and it said 99% possible. I put yeah. a blog in there from Tom Gemmett. I had to remove the code because it was too long. And it said it was about 1% possibility that it was written by a computer. Yeah. Well, that blog was a really good example. If someone had sent me that blog post about NHSR, I would not have published it. I would have written back to them and said, I'm very sorry. I'm, you know, I'm really happy that you took the time to write a blog, but it's a bit, can you kind of, you know, jazz it up a bit kind of thing? I wouldn't, it's not a good blog, is it really? I just did it as a sort of, because I thought it was interesting that a computer wrote it. So I think that's a really good example of how when we want something done properly, it's probably at the moment best to get. And we released both blogs at the same time. So Tom's blog was about fuzzy logic matching between, um, data sets when you've got names that are close but not close enough so as a human you can kind of see that they match but they don't quite match if you're going to do like one-to-one -one matching and it's a really great article so it was a lot more complex a lot more creativity going in in there than the blog from ChatGPT. quite right yeah and we'll stick a link to that in the notes as well not that it's particularly used but oh, why not just just for fun so uh, do have a look at that okay right we'll leave it there then so uh thanks very much to zoe thanks very much to everyone who's listening um we have got a guest i think booked in for i really can't remember off the top of my head maybe early april um i do need to book some more i've only got one guest booked in at the moment actually so we'll be back with more newscasts and guests in the order that they come out i can't remember exactly where we are i'm going to thank myself again for doing editing because i'm doing the editing i'm going to obviously stop doing that eventually because i think it will be me from now on it's a bit ridiculous but having thanked tom so many times i'm just going to take the opportunity to thank myself a few more times if, if nobody minds too much um so yeah, thanks to you all again for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.